Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Day One, Week One podcast. My name is Billy Bowering. Got my main man on production, Nick Gaida. Say hello, guys. Hello. There he is. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got an incredible guest. We have Miss Tamra Yoder. Started her career in emergency services in 1995. And since then, over the years, uh, incredibly accomplished. And now she's even teaching some of these life-saving skills to other people. And it's it's such an honor to have you here. We got Miss Tamara Yoder. Say hey. hi, Miss Tamara. Hey. All right. So we kind of start out, where'd you grow up? That kind of thing. Talk about your family, maybe some influences in the family, things like that as you, as you got. So if you can kind of maybe start back from not necessarily childhood memories, but kind of what got Younger you going. Younger Yoder. Younger Yoder. <laughs> exactly. Well, I grew up in Iowa, born and raised. Um, I was actually raised Mennonite, which is an unusual background um, considering what I do now. Um, my dad was raised Amish and uh, his family got out of the church and raised me as a Mennonite. Um, once I left the house and stuff, I decided that I wanted to go to college. Obviously, I started in uh, with elementary school education. Um, that lasted a year before I decided that maybe not the route for me. Um, upon a professor's encouragement, I started into psychology and then I just couldn't afford the college I was going to anymore. So I dropped out. Um, while I was working just for a couple of months, my dad said, Hey, why don't you just take an EMT class at night just to see maybe it'd be a good fit for you. And he was a founding member of our first responder agency in my hometown and I remember growing up thinking, my dad's so cool. He drives around in an ambulance sometimes, and he helps all these people. Um, and I was always raised, um, if you know anything about the Mennonite or the Amish background, they're um, big in servanthood um, and helping other people. And that was a way I could give back. And I admired my dad for being able to do that all the time. So, And he did it on a volunteer basis, and here I was going to class to maybe do it as a career and it fit like it just gelled I knew immediately that was where I needed to be and what I needed to do and so I did everything I could to start in and become a paramedic um, I was very young I wasn't even 21 years old when I got my paramedic um, but I've been doing it since 1995 it's a long time <laughs> mm -hmm. like you said so the decision that kind of helped shape that or the the things that shaped your decision into getting into public service was Mainly from your dad. Yeah. Um, my mom was a nurse. She was an NICU nurse. Um, she worked at the University of Iowa. Um, she really wanted me to be a nurse. My, I kind of didn't want to be a nurse. And coincidentally, I just graduated nursing school. So <laughs> um, 28, 30 years later, here I am right. <laughs> as a nurse. Um, we have a lot of health care in my family. Um Growing up, I had a, a lot of cousins, and we, I've got now several firefighters and several police officers in my family as well. Mm -hmm. So I believe you told me your, your brother's a police officer as well? Yes, he's a police officer, mm -hmm. yep. In Iowa? In Iowa, right. yep. And one of my cousins is a uh, police officer in Colorado as well. Do you get a chance to see them very often since you're in South Carolina now? Do you mm -hmm. get to see them very often? Maybe once a year I get to see my family. <laughs> um, we're pretty far spread out now. Uh, my mother and uh, one of my brothers lives in Iowa. I have a brother in Florida and a brother that just moved to Germany a couple of years ago. So I'm hoping to go see him. I haven't seen him in three years. Um, I'm hoping to go see him here this year yet. So 
And he lives over there? Yes, him and his family live over there. Is he in public service over there as well? Uh, he actually is doing church planning over there. Oh, nice. Um, in Germany, it's very expensive to um, have a church in a building because of all the taxes that the, mm-hmm. the country or the state um, imposes. So they do a lot of home churches, and that's what mm-hmm. he's doing is church planning that way. So um, some of the other influences in your childhood that kind of, I mean, you were talking about how you grew up. Um, I don't know a whole lot about that. Um, if you could talk a little bit more about that and maybe the community itself and, sure. and how it, how it, um, how it works together. Cause you said, uh, there's a sur- service orientation to that. I'm just curious how, how that affected you as you were growing up from very small to later. Yeah. Um, it's a very conservative community. Um, very tight knit. I grew up in the largest Mennonite and Amish area west of the Mississippi. Um, a lot of people don't even know that there's Mennonites and Amish that are outside of Pennsylvania. Right. <laughs> Apparently people think that's where they all live, but they <laughs> live all over the country. Um, I went to a Mennonite high school. I grew up in public school, but um, I always knew that people that went to the Mennonite churches were different than everybody else in the community. Um my grandpa had gotten out of the Amish church. He's kind of a rebel, and that's kind of where I got that from <laughs> as well. Um, anybody that knows me knows I like to ride a, a gray line a lot. But um, when he got out of the church with his family, they had actually gone to Mexico for a little bit and done some orphanage work. And when they came back to the United States, they had uh, decided to finish raising the boys in in the Mennonite church. But my grandpa and my all my uncles are very big into construction and building houses and helping others. And that's just one thing that my dad had always instilled in me is just to be helpful no matter what you do. Um, in the Mennonite church, uh, they talk about servanthood a lot there too, even with a communion. Um, they don't just do communion. They do foot washing with every um, communion as well. And that's just a physical symbol of um, serving somebody else. Right. Um, you don't often see that in many churches anymore. Right. So, um, it just was ingrained in me. Um, there's a lot of things about the, um, Mennonite and Amish church that I still hold true to my heart today with helping others and doing that act of servanthood. Um, there's some other things that were rather tough, uh, growing up that I didn't necessarily like. Um, in my adulthood and mm-hmm. that's affected my ability to, um, stay strong in my faith some days. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's talk about, <clears throat> excuse me, some of your training and, um, you know, so you started in 1995, you weren't in South Carolina at that point, correct? You were correct. still in Iowa. I was still in Iowa. Um, I started off in my, while I was going to school, I was a CNA at a nursing home and I really hated it. Um, so I actually got hired on, um, at a hospital and I started working in a PEDS ICU and in an ICU while I was going to school. Um, I was also, once I got done with paramedic school, I decided to go and be a dispatcher for air care, which is a medical helicopter there at the university of Iowa. Um, while I was working, part-time as a paramedic till I could get a full-time paramedic job. So, um, that all landed as it should. And I took off in my career. Um, my dad died shortly within like four or five years of my career. Um, so that was kind of a a tough blow, but, Mm -hmm. um, 
he was a big influence and I got to where I wanted to be because of him, I think. Right. Um, once I left Iowa, I was about 10 years into my career then. I had already gotten my critical care paramedic and done a bunch of stuff in Iowa with uh, car seats and kids and a, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't, I don't feel like I advanced my career very well there, but once I moved to South Carolina, I kind of set out about a different way. I wanted to experience a few more things. Mm -hmm. So um, I became a firefighter along with being a paramedic and then I became a SWAT paramedic. Um, did that for a couple of years with the County. Um, I guess before I had moved, take that back a little bit. I did do, um, a deployment down to Katrina with a federal disaster team. Um, so I've done some disaster medicine mm -hmm. and here in South Carolina on top of the, um, the SWAT and firefighting, I've been participating in the heroin and human trafficking coalitions with the state, mm -hmm. trying to be involved in my community as well as I just have vested interest in helping kids. Um, they've been kind of part of my career, my, my whole career, <laughs> they followed me around. So, um, I don't have kids of my own, but, um, I consider all my patients, especially the kids they are mine. So I treat them like they're mine. Were you able to, um, when you get on the fire service, were you able to come right on board? I mean, first application, first interview made it right on, or was there a struggle there? Oh, there was a little bit of a struggle. I tried to get on in Iowa actually. Um, unfortunately I was really sick the day that I had, applied or was doing my physical agility and, um, ended up in the ER. They sent me by ambulance because my oxygen levels were really, really low. And I ended up being in the ER for a little while. And I don't know, I just prayed about it and just, my divorce was final, my house sold. And I just felt a tug to get out. Mm -hmm. Like I had wanted to be out before my dad had gotten sick, but then I stayed because he had gotten sick. So, um, I just saw it as an opportunity to leave and do what I needed to do. What was the um, what was the attraction to South Carolina? What I mean, there's 49 other states. There's not 15 feet of snow here. <laughs> <laughs> it's not 50 degree wind chills. Right. Um, they had both firefighting and paramedic. I was a volunteer firefighter in Iowa, so I kind of wanted to combine that in. Um, I had looked in Texas. Uh, it was all right. They didn't have a beach where I was looking. It was in Austin, Travis County area. Um, and I would be either a paramedic or a firefighter. It wasn't both. Um, I had also looked in Florida where my grandparents were living at the time. And it just wasn't like the requirements to get into that state at the time were pretty tough that they've loosened them up quite a bit now, but South Carolina just happened to fit. So had a beach, had the warm weather. Mm -hmm. What about the, um, what about the relationships? that you potentially, I mean, you left behind in Iowa. Speaking of which, we had uh, an air care friend of yours reach out to us that is not very happy that you left Iowa. Christopher Slaughter sent us an email uh, <laughs> oh, that's right. making sure that he does not miss this podcast. That's right. He wanted to reach out and talk about, I guess, how much he, he loves you, I guess. Yeah, Chris, I've known Chris since... We were dispatchers actually in, um, for air care together. Um, and then we volunteered together at the same department. So um, as a firefighters, but that was, yeah, he's been adamant about wanting to know when I'm <laughs> going to be on. So, well, uh, we gave him a shout out. So we did. Hopefully he hears it and he uh, gives a little laugh at it. That's right. Uh, so, you know, going forward into that, uh, you know, 
not just that one relationship. I'm sure they're the family. You said they were, were they kind of breaking up at that point? You said that they're kind of in a far reach or whatever. Um, uh, no, I was the first one to move out of okay. my immediate family. Um, my extended family had started to spread out a little bit more, like my mom's, my uncles and um, aunts and stuff. But um, for the most part, I was the first one to move. Um, my mother had moved to Michigan for a little bit before I had moved to South Carolina um, with her husband. And I guess technically that would make her the first one, but it wasn't... Um, as far as South Carolina. Right. So um, I think because it was something completely unfamiliar to them, um, Florida would have been a more comfortable, even <laughs> though it would have been further. They knew what Florida was like with my grandparents mm -hmm. having lived there before. So I didn't have anybody here. Like um, I have a cousin that lives in Charlotte. She lived there before I moved here and some family in Virginia, but that's as close as I have here. So a dollar and a dream coming to South Carolina. Yep. <laughs> Literally. I packed up what I had in my car and I moved. Wow. Mm -hmm. Was your family supportive of, of the move or were they Um, I think they, under they understood why I wanted to move. Like I needed to be getting a fresh start, especially mm -hmm. after all the things that had happened. But I think they really wanted me to stay the same too. Sure. Sure. And you, you said you tried to see them at least once a year. Yeah. Um, like I do try to get back as often as I can. Um, South Carolina is not the exactly uh, cheap place to move or to uh, <laughs> visit so that I don't get as many visits in return. But um, I do try to get out there at least once a year to see them. I may or may not get there for as long as I want, but I do think family is important. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think that expanding your horizons and learning to sail on your own a little bit isn't a bad thing. Which goes right into my next question. You're standing on the beach, you're looking out over the ocean, and you're just looking into this space, and you're thinking, what's driving me right now? So speak to that a little bit about what's, what's driven you to the point where you are right now. What's, what's keeping you going? Well, easy answers would be like, I'm just a goal setter. I like to, <laughs> to set goals and achieve them, but... Um, just my inner strength, like there's something inside of me that just keeps saying go, like learn more, do more, try more things. And that's been part of me since I was in elementary school, I think. Mm -hmm. I, I just always enjoyed trying to do different things. And I like, I know that I'm very good at medicine and I like seeing in different ways that I can, can do that. And mm -hmm. now I'm looking at being a nurse and how do I want to accomplish that? What do I want to do with that? Um, I'm looking at, I would love to do PEDS ICU or do some PEDS helicopter transport. That mm -hmm. would be a dream job for me. Right. Um, long time in the future probably, but if I got my nurse practitioner working with Homeland Security and helping with human trafficking, bringing some of those kids home a little bit safer right. um, would also be kind of a pipe dream. That's a huge goal. That is a huge yeah. goal, but Desperately needed as well. I mean, yeah. I mean, even living here in South Carolina, we're in one of the highest rates of human trafficking and Iowa the same. Um, they're kind of along the same belt path. And I know that even if I didn't help with Homeland Security, even within a state, I could make a big impact. So your experiences um, in fire service and paramedic, things like that, that you've been doing once you got here, I mean, like you said, you're very goal, goal oriented very driven to accomplish those things. Have you ever been in a 
position where you're just like, man, I don't, I don't think this is going to make it. I don't, I don't think I'm good enough to do this. Or, I mean, obviously everyone has self-doubt, but um, it doesn't appear like you've been a person that's listened to your own self-talk or negative talk to yourself. Um, can you speak to a little bit about some of those dark times when you really thought that, man, I don't, I don't know if I can continue to do this kind of stuff. Sure. Um, you know, when we in public service and military, um, get into this business, we don't sign up for 90% of what we're given. We sign up to help people. We don't sign up for the nightmares. We don't sign up to get spit on and we don't get, we don't sign up for the politics. We don't sign up for any of the stuff. And that's what you're thrown that's really where the dark times hit. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes it's just for lack of, or not even a lack of, just not feeling like you were good enough that day. You didn't help where you thought you could. But there's, I don't know, there's, there's times where you just got to know that you did your best that day, no matter what. Um, one of the calls that almost made me quit Um there was three kids that were killed in a car accident. They were hit by their own cousin. That was terrible. Mm. Like it, it took weeks, weeks of talking through it with my partner, with uh, counselors. Mm -hmm. The but, agency that you were with, did they help? Is, with yes, they facilitated support? that immediately. Okay. Um, okay. But still to this day, I can interject myself right into that scene. I can mm -hmm. tell you what it smells like. I can tell you what it looked like, what it felt like. Mm -hmm. But I know also like they were gone, like they were gone. There was nothing I could do. And it does make you question your abilities. But I mean, when those are situations are presented, you just kind of have to know that you were there for them mm -hmm. as best as you could. So all your training, everything, you know, I mean, you're in that moment, right? You're like, I didn't, I didn't get trained for this part. I didn't. Right. No, nobody told me about that part in class. And right. now as an instructor, I try to relay some of that, but there's nothing really that I can tell these people that will prepare them for what they see. Mm -hmm. There's nothing like, I wish that there was, but I don't even know what they're going to see. So how am I going to explain what I saw and right. have that make any sense to them mm -hmm. other you, than be prepared? Mm -hmm. Now you said you almost quit. Um, how long of a process was it before you felt comfortable getting back on the rig or, or going in, going back, just putting your uniform back on? Comfortable? <laughs> that well. took a while. <laughs> <laughs> when did I do it? I, it took me... I think I was off work for a week or two before I went back to work. Was mm -hmm. I ready then? Probably not. Um, hindsight being what it is. Mm -hmm. um, there's been a couple other times too that it just, um, probably more recently, there was a summer, me and one of my partners here in South Carolina, um, we had four drownings in the same summer. And they were all kids and they were all ours, mm -hmm. like all of our patients. Mm -hmm. And the last one really went south. Like it just, it was hard. It was a, it was a hard call from the rip. And um, the mother ended up assaulting me at the end. 
Why? I don't know. Because <laughs> she felt like you could have done more or something. And you're feeling the yeah, same way I'm at telling, the same time. Yeah. Sure. I'm telling her things she doesn't want to hear. I'm telling mm-hmm. her things I don't want to tell her. Yeah. Right. There's nothing that you can say or do to help the circumstance other than do your best that day. Um, there's a movie called Facing the Giants. I don't know if you're familiar um, it's a football motivational motivational movie. I have seen that. And mm-hmm. the coach gets kind of in the face of one of the players and says, I just need your best that day mm-hmm. or today. I need your best right now. And I try to keep that in mind because um, the kid really wasn't given his best that day. But he did. Um, he was supposed to bear crawl across the football field, and he thought he could get 30 yards carrying one of his buddies. And the coach said, I think you got 50 in you, and you're going to do it blindfolded so you don't quit early. So he gets down in the bear crawl, and through some motivational words (laughs) from the coach, Mm -hmm. he actually gets all the way across um, the goal line on the other end of the field, way farther than he ever thought he would. Um, And those dark times, that's kind of what you have to do is just one foot in front of the other, Keep cheering yourself on, have other help people around helping to cheer you on and just know that you're doing your best that day, mm-hmm. no matter what. Um, sometimes that best is by the minute. It's not necessarily going to be leaps and bounds, but if you can get through to that next minute, the next minute's going to be easier and the next minute's going to be easier and it still may suck, but you made it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes your best is getting out of bed that day to get a shower, but that's your best. Just that's the only thing that I can think of that really kind of helped pull me out of those initial dark times. Just knowing there was some kind of hope on the other side of it. Yep. Like knowing I did my best that day and then knowing that I do my best every day that I can. And it might not be somebody else's best. That's the other thing. Right. It, my best might not look what, look like that to somebody else, but they don't understand necessarily what's going on with me in the background. Or mm-hmm. so, so your, she, your best doesn't necessarily, the perception is your best isn't good enough for somebody else. There's been times. But it's, but it's literally <laughs> the best you can put forward. Yeah. yeah, and that's all that you can ask. I mean, I see people struggling all the time, um, I've lost 14 coworkers to suicide in 28 years. That's one every other year. I've lost five family members or friends also to suicide. And uh, those people didn't think that they were doing their best. I need everybody to know that they are. And I would hate to know that I made somebody feel like they weren't. We might have to take a break.
all set. I just wanted to kind of take a second. Um, again, want, wanting to be raw is really, really important because yeah. that's what the listener is going to want to hear. Um, that's and what this your is, other friends that are going through the same struggles want to hear. Exactly. That's what I tell um, people. They want to they know that emotion, and there's somebody listening to this that we don't know. It's happened many times. And they got to know that they're doing their best. So um, I'm trying really hard not to get super emotional about this, but I'm probably going to end up, which is okay. And I can be quiet and you can talk, but that's why I had to take a break. I'm used to cutting out his crying. (laughs) (laughs) Wailing over there. (laughs) All right. Whenever you're ready. So going through that many people thinking that they weren't good enough. First of all, the question is, did you have an opportunity to engage with them before something like that had happened? Or was it something that they, that you just heard of and were like, oh my gosh, I didn't know. There was a few of them that I knew that they were struggling. Um, One of them was my partner. He was actually my first partner when I moved here to South Carolina. He and I had had many talks um, and he had struggles. I mean, he, he had demons and I was going through a lot myself. I just got out of a divorce. I just moved across the country and I didn't, it was a lot, but I felt like I needed to be there for him more. And I, I wasn't the day that they called me to let me know. I didn't know like things were that bad again. Um, I thought things were a little bit better. Um, and I feel like that's been the case pretty standardly with everybody that I know that or had any forecast of that things were getting better. But I've also come to know that that's a sign that maybe things aren't better, that they're just, they've got their plan in place. And they're trying to let you know, or maybe they're trying too hard to show a normal yeah or they're just their normal self they're relieved to know maybe that their anguish is coming to an end and that's not where i want them to be I, <laughs> struggle in this life is it's inevitable um that's one thing i do know um one of the questions that you had written out just so I could kind of be prepared was if my faith had any part of my strength and I I had Mm -hmm. said yes. Um, So with that said, I guess some of my references are more biblical in nature, but um, people need to know that when they're struggling, they're not failing. Um, God uses people in huge ways that have struggled. Whether you know it or not, um, I can't tell you how many times people have reached out to me to say that they're watching what I do and not in a bad way. They're just, hey, you mean a lot to me. Like when I became, went to nursing school, one of one of the ER techs had said, I can't believe you're going to nursing school. You're the one person I was always looking up to as a paramedic that I knew I wanted to be like. Um, 
one of my best friend's daughters is wanting to be a nurse. And she just texted me last night and said, mom, I want to be a nurse like Tamara is a paramedic. Mm. Um, I want to be like that. And I don't feel like I'm doing anything out of the way. I just do what I do. But to know people are watching is a huge thing. Um, it's a huge privilege, but you could be somebody else's person that they're watching. It doesn't have to be me. It could be anybody that they could be watching you mm -hmm. and looking up to you. And even though you're struggling and you feel like you're not getting anywhere, they're watching you push through those waves. They're watching you succeed. And even if it's a small success, they're watching. Um, God used um, some people in the Bible, some more familiar names would be like Moses. Moses was a murderer and he was exiled. But he led people. Um, Joseph was abused by his brothers and sold into slavery. Uh, Rahab, she was a prostitute. They, society completely rejected her. Uh, Naomi was banished to a land and basically widowed. Hannah struggled with a lot of infertility issues. Mary Magdalene fought demons, but every single one of those people relied on God and he used them for really, really big things, mm -hmm. really big things. Um, God has already fought our battles for us and he's already won. So no matter what you do, as long as you have faith in him, you're going to win. He's already done the hard work. You just got to rely on him. John 16, 33, in me, you may have peace. In the world, you have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And so no matter what is thrown at you, that struggle, it's going to be there. It, it's inevitable. It's just mm -hmm. part of life. But um, you're not failing while you're there. It's just struggle. Um, diamonds are made from struggle. Mm -hmm. Diamonds are one of the most beautiful gems in the world and they're made from pressure and they're made from really terrible conditions. Heat. Yeah. Right. But fire, like going, like we say, going through the fire. Exactly. Yep. And they come out shining. Mm -hmm. Um, so <laughs> the struggle is for, for a reason. It's meant to develop you as a person. It's meant to, I don't even know what the words are that I'm trying to search for there, but. Well, I did a short video not too long ago and I talked about struggles and heard the story. There was the story of the, the butterfly. I don't know if you saw that. Mm -hmm, I did. And if, if we get too much help or if we rely on someone else other than ourselves during our struggle, then we lose the purpose of the struggle, which is to make us stronger. Right. Our, our struggles are ours for a reason. Mm -hmm. We're going through that for a reason. And that is so that we can encourage others and show the end result of that, which ultimately, biblically, is eternity. So, And having that higher faith, I mean, it just, it provides that strength, that inner strength, that peace, that calm that we all need. And uh, need to rely on. Even if you don't have that immediate friend, you have God there mm -hmm. to rely on. So in your opinion, um, I know we've talked about some, some trying times. You said 28 
Was that the number you said? 28 people had committed suicide in your... Uh, in, no, 14 in, 14. 20, in 28 years. In 28 years. Yep. I'm sorry. I get them mixed. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> so, so in your opinion, or in your, in your professional opinion, because you, you're very educated when it comes to... I mean, where you are now is starting out, you know, as an EMT back in the day to where you are now. Uh, so what is your opinion? What, what do you think is the direction? I mean, it's going in a good direction because mental health is, is out there. People are talking about it. it. I hate to say it like this, but it is a hot topic. Everybody's talking about mental health, mental health, mental health. But in your opinion, what should be done? What, are, what do you think are the most effective ways because I, I, I truly believe there's, there's two things that stop people from reaching out for help. One is the stigma, and the other one is loneliness. Um, what do you think is the most effective way to eliminate the stigma of mental health? Well, I've started to finally see, at least on the fire side, um, some more openness about getting help. Um, before it was just never, like you said, there's a stigma. Nobody wants to reach out. Everybody thinks you're a weirdo if you do. But now, like, I've heard some of the saltiest of salts at my firehouse just talk openly about how they went to the counselor the other day, and they say it right in front of the new guys. And I think that that is really awesome because those new guys now see it's okay. Right. It's not only okay to go seek that help, but it's okay to talk about it. I mean, <laughs> they don't get to be there without that extra help. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that new guy has already started to see some things. I, we've had several people quit just because within the first couple of weeks because they didn't realize what they were getting themselves into. Um, so I, I really appreciate those older people that are willing to say, hey, it's okay. Um, I think on the society level, I, I spoke on it a little bit earlier, like, People say all the time, you signed up for that. You should expect that. And mm -hmm. I don't think they understand I didn't sign up for any of this. Right. I signed up to help. So I'm just asking for help to deal with the stuff I'm doing to, you, <laughs> to help you, you know? Um, I think what we signed up for is we realized that there was a risk involved sure. in our service. But I don't think that, at least especially for, again, for me too, um, I'm in that older generation, if you will, that at my age, if I had been doing this my entire life, I had, I've only been doing this for five years, but if I've been doing this since my twenties, I was the salty firefighter talking about, you know, Hey, I just talked to my counselor the other day kind of thing and letting the new guys hear that, that generation that came up through before where the generation ahead of them said, no, you don't talk about your stuff. You just, you put it over there and we got to go to work. So that, that's a great insight that you're leaving here is that there's a generation of leadership right now that needs to bring that to the forefront. Before we all get out. Right. right. <laughs> Before we all get exactly. out. Because I see how young our department is, and I know that's only going to continue to happen because it's just the way things are. Right. Attrition. Gonna, yeah. yeah. So – having people be better prepared and have better resources. I don't know how many counselors there are in this area that are trained in dealing with military and public safety. I know mm -hmm. of a few, um, but a lot of them shy away from us. Um, 
But even in the, I don't know if you're familiar with the DSM-5 book, it's the big book where they talk about all the mental disorders and what criteria meet um, Mm -hmm. for each different thing. They've actually come out, um, I guess, with this next update, they're going to actually have one specifically for public safety and military because they understand now that we do things so differently. Mm -hmm. What anxiety is for somebody else is not going to be the same, (laughs) even though the diagnosis may be anxiety, it's going to be looked at a little bit differently from a public safety or military standpoint. Um, It's hard in what we do, like asking for help because of that stigma. Like, I know we talked about it already a little bit, but I, having people, know when they need it. Like be honest with yourself. I don't know how you're honest with all your other patients. Be honest with yourself. Like, Hey, this is not okay. This is a a line that I need to draw on the sand. Um, what's equally hard though, is offering help and legit help to your coworkers. Um, we all see it we're like, Oh, that sucks. (laughs) We've all been on that side. And I think we're very quick to be like, Hey man, give me a call. If you need anything, reach out if you need anything. But if you're going to look at me like I'm weird, or you're going to look at me or that stigma is still there, they're back to square one of not being able to ask or not feeling like they can. Um, some of the best help that I have had and some of the best help that I have seen out there, the people that are willing to come in and sit with you, mm-hmm. not just sit with you here or whatever, but like they're willing to sit with you in the suck. Like until you're ready to get out of it, they're going to just sit there with you. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody wants to have to go through that suck with anybody. Nobody wants to have to do that, but it that's really the only way that I have really seen really successful is somebody that's just willing to be there and, endure with you endure that storm that you said earlier about Mm -hmm. you need that help you need your friends there you need that company um there's a story out there about a guy that falls in a hole and uh people walk by some of them see him some of you don't some of them hand him a piece of pizza or a cupcake or whatever and they're trying to offer him help but nobody can you know they offer him a hand but it doesn't really work um and it isn't until the guy jumps into the hole with him that the help really begins and the guy freaks out for just a little bit and says, what are you doing now? We're both stuck. And he goes, yeah, but I know how to get out. So before I've been here before. That's right. Um, I think that really, um, we need to be offering more of that Mm -hmm. and I don't know where that would begin, but. On a previous episode, one of the, uh, one of the officers said he related to, if he needed help, he would go into that. As it, as it would appear if he was going into a battle and he would call for backup. He recognizes this situation and, hey, I can't do this by myself. So he's calling for backup. That was a great way to put that um, in a police officer's role. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to a house with an open door and maybe some lights flashing around inside the house. I'm not going in there by myself. I'm going to wait for backup because so, I don't know what I'm getting into. And that mindset is exactly uh, what you're talking about. You got you to gotta be able to call for that backup, and that backup's got to be there. 
Absolutely. I agree with that. And I'm going to touch on this because we have a nurse in the room and she brought it up. So DSM-5, (laughs) for those that aren't familiar, right? DSM-5, that is the book of mental health written by doctors and many educated people. DSM-5 is the number five because it's the fifth edition of the book, which means they tried this five times Mm -hmm. and now they're going for a sixth, right? (laughs) DSM-5 was released in 2013, which makes it 10 years ago. Okay. And Billy has brought up a point before about the amount, and I'm bringing this up because I'm a numbers guy, right? I'm a numbers, I'm a matter of fact guy. And think of all the advances we've made in physical medicine that have to do with every disease and every sickness across the world. But the one that's taken so long to be recognized is this part here. And it connects to what you said the other day. What were the numbers you gave us on mental health of an average person? Was it three times in their Tra- life? Traumas. Traumas in their yeah. life. A person, a person would in, uh, experience three traumas in their, in their entire life. And then in law enforcement, first responders, firefighters, uh, all of the, all of the services, one hundred and the average was one hundred and eighty-eight a day in a year. A year, not right. a day. So not a day. That would be ridiculous. so. That's that's practically in a year. Practically yeah. every other day mm-hmm. is what that math comes out to right. somewhat. So it's just amazing that it's taken that long for them to realize. I mean, anything else, right? You get sick. Like if you're anything like me, you wait till you literally can't breathe to go to the doctor about it. <laughs> but I still go to the doctor cause I don't want to die. Right? right. So I still go get the help. So mental health is quite literally the same way mm-hmm. you go. There's nothing wrong with trying to endure it yourself because there's many things we're going to overcome on our own. But when it gets to that point, man, you got to get some freaking help. Yep. Just like anything else. But they you were, don't want to write a book on it. You don't want to wait till you absolutely can't breathe either yeah. at that point either. Exactly. Like with you the mental health. You gotta still go like when the antibiotics will still right. be effective, <laughs> right? I'm not trying to go for an IV, but. Right. Yeah. But even with your mental health, you wait so long. Mm-hmm. It takes twice as long to come back from that instead of just doing the work up front. And it's all related to the stigma because people are going to think you're crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've seen all the, the movies back in the day. Um, I'm not going to name them out or anything, but you, you've seen the movies when they have somebody that's talking to himself or, or, or whatever, or going, falling into some kind of a depression. And I mean, then again, you watch the TV and you see all these medications. So you feel this way, you feel this way, you feel this way here, take this. And then it says side effects are, and then it lists more chronic situations that could arise after taking this medication for a long time. Um, that's frustrating to, to experience. Uh, just to watch that, but, uh, you know, kind of lost my train of thought there for a second. <laughs> that was a losing point right there. <laughs> We're going to have to pick that up. Um, senior moment. So, yeah, what Nick was saying, <laughs> they're literally writing a book on it. They're they're writing a book on it. On, but why is it taken over? You know, just over the 10 years, taking over 10 years to really, to to make some significant changes. They came up with an update. It's got a TR at the end of it, but in their notes there, it specifically says no updates were made for PTSD or any other anxiety or like mental health. Mm -hmm. 
like specifically for PTSD. Right. Like I was, and what I was yeah. relating that to was the stigma and mm-hmm. feeling like you're the reason you're not going to ask for help is because you're going to be singled out. You're going to lose your identity of what you've worked so hard to gain. Sure. Stuff like that. Um, yeah. I don't know the solution and that's why we're bringing in people that are educated like yourself um, and that, you know, you've experienced a lot of this stuff and you've, you've done a lot of the book work, you know, of what they're te- trying to teach us about this kind of thing. And that's, that's why, you know, be, you being on here is, is a huge uh, experience for us because we can learn from what they're, what are they relaying to the mental health today? You know what I mean? What are, what are they, what are their, not just their diagnosis, what are their plans to try to, help make that better. Yeah. I mean, I know at least on the fire side, the IAFF, the national union, um, they have several treatment centers now specifically for firefighters. Um, they do both mental illness and drug and alcohol, mm-hmm. um, related issues. Um, they're inpatient and outpatient. Um, there's been multiple people that I know of that have taken advantage of those situations. But again, I think a lot of people that aren't comfortable with it, see how that person might be singled out. They know that person's not at work. They know that they're gone for a long period of time. They know that they're struggling and now everybody knows they're struggling. It's not something they can really hide, but that might not be a bad thing either. Mental health um, recovery or resources available as it, making them as available as, uh, what's the word I want to use? I guess I look at my heroin addicts. We try to give them Narcan and we try to flood the area with Narcan. We try to make sure that they have as many resources as they, as they can get. We want the Narcan to be and the help to be as available as the heroin is itself. Like we want it to be easier for them to get the help rather than the drug. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that would be the same kind of concept that we need to do with mental health is we need to make it easier for them to have the help than it is to have the problem. More resources, more conversations, more uh, mentorships, all of that. Yep. Absolutely. And unfortunately, I mean, the higher powers and even in our government have taken away a lot of those resources Mm -hmm. for everybody, not just public safety, but um, being able to flood those areas, well, just flood especially public safety and military back in with mental health resources so that they can deal with what they see. I mean... I can't tell people enough of what we see. Like somebody will always ask you, what's the worst call you've ever seen? I hate that question (laughs) because it makes you relive everything that you Mm -hmm. saw that day. It's terrible. Um, But just to know how easily that you can interject yourself back into those calls tells you how volatile they were of a memory. They're core memories and they're not core memories that you, that most people have. So I'm definitely trying to get away from that because I did that in the first couple episodes. Tell me about your worst call. Well, <laughs> how'd that go? Yeah. Tell me, let's relive that, you know, right here. Um, and that's, I'm well, trying to steer away from that because sure. I don't want to, I don't want to put someone in a position where they're, they're experiencing those things again. Yeah. Well, I mean, even my worst call were not the calls that almost made me quit. Right. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I, I was glad for the preface on the question mm-hmm. so I could process it a little sure. bit, but. Um, those weren't even the worst calls that I've had. Well, if, if you notice, I, one of the questions I, 
when I said about the um, whether it was funny, influential, mm-hmm. could have been traumatic, but some of the ones that really kind of st- struck you in your memory as you're not going to forget that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Those kind of things. So I wanted to make sure I it was well-rounded with, sure. the, with the question. So. Like um, an influential call, honestly, was my very first call as an EMT, as a first responder. Um, we got called for a hunter down in the middle of a field. And I'm like, you're wow. <laughs> starting my stuff like this. <laughs> um, and so we're thinking that he got shot, mm-hmm. obviously, hunting out in the middle of a cornfield in Iowa. There's a solid chance of that. And so. um, ended up he was in cardiac arrest. Um, his buddy that was out hunting with him happened to be a doctor um, was doing CPR on him when we got there. We got pulses back. It was in rural Iowa. We flew him out because it was going to be a 30-minute ride for the ambulance to the closest hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and he came back to the fire, or, well, not the firehouse, but the first responder place and handed us all hats. I still have that hat today. Oh, wow. That's great. It's got a giant pheasant on the, <laughs> the brim because um, that's what he was hunting that day. It says, thank you. Um, and I'll never forget that. That, right. that had me hooked. Yeah. I knew if anything in my schooling hadn't already taught me that this is where I, what I needed to be doing that did. Right. That did all day. So right. I, um, that was probably a really big influence that, Hey, you're in the right spot. Um, there's a lot of funny calls that were funny to me that they're probably not <laughs> funny to uh, the people that it happened to exactly. at all. Um, <laughs> but there was a day, um, it wasn't even really a call, but, my old partner in Iowa reminds me of this all the time. Um, we were staging in downtown Iowa City um, in the pedestrian mall. There's 36 square, or 36 bars in like five square blocks there. It's insane there for the college kids. But we were just sitting there waiting for the next student to go down. <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden he's like, T, I, uh, I think our ambulance just got tagged. I'm like, what? this person had come by with the spray paint right on our ambulance while we were sitting in there. And I may or may not have gotten a little loud on the PA and chased <laughs> them down. <laughs> um, but it was kind of one of my more funny memories of, of something that has happened, but it was pretty brazen. Yeah, it was, it was, but, um, alcohol was involved. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, it was just kind of a accumulation to everything. He and I, similar to a partner here that I have that we just always got, got the shit <laughs> thrown right. at us. And, um, I think we had had like 12 cardiac arrests in a couple months time. All of them were the under the age of 50 and things were just not going well. And then that happened. And when we got back to the base, our boss told us we weren't allowed to work together for six <laughs> months just to try to break a cycle up. But, um, did it break the cycle? Uh, it did kind of, but, yeah. uh, <laughs> it never really was the same after that as far as, um, the the destruction that we that we were seeing but um it was one of our more funny memories i guess if you um if you were teaching somebody that was brand new that was just coming in and obviously you do that but um the question is kind of like if tomorrow was your last day you're getting ready to retire um which it the pace you're going i don't think you're ever going to retire um, no, because there's uh, going to be another school class somewhere yeah. that you're going to be a part of. My old <laughs> lieutenant actually used to call me troll because he said he thinks I'm going <laughs> to live to be a hundred years old. <laughs> so tomorrow's your last day. You're getting ready to walk out and do your final call out. There's a new 
rookie just walked in mm-hmm. and how are you going to prepare them for what they're about to and you you met, mentioned it a little bit earlier you can't necessarily relay what they're going to see but how do you prepare them for what there's what the possibility is for what's going on um just to always reach out um no matter how silly it might seem build your community it doesn't have to be within fire and ems just find a community it could be your church it could be hockey it could be whatever you do on the side of motorcycle club just build a community so that you have friends around you that can support you no matter what they might not even understand what you do but hey they know if they get out and get a little fresh air on you you'll be all right with a motorcycle ride or whatever that is mm-hmm. um and no matter how bad it is i guess quit tomorrow don't quit today. Quit tomorrow. And it's kind of like that uh, free beer tomorrow sign. You show up. Today sucks. It's okay. Show up tomorrow. It's probably still going to suck, <laughs> but it might be good. But just quit tomorrow. Um, you can always make it to the next day. Um, you have the time then to, to reach out to your friends and your community to build you up. And to remember that that struggle isn't failing. It is just a struggle. Mm -hmm. You will get through it. It's going to be terrible (laughs) until you do, but it'll be okay. You have survived every worst moment of your life up until now. You can survive another one. There's no reason why you can't. Um, And then the one thing that my dad always told me, don't quit when it's bad. Quit when it's good. Because nobody quits when it's good. They only quit when it's bad. Hmm. Things get really hard and they get ugly. But then when things are good, nobody thinks about quitting. So if you can quit when it's good, you probably already have something else lined up that's going to be even better along the way anyway. That's right. Um, I d- I don't know that I ever really feel like I prepare my students for what they're going to see. Like I have EMT students and then I um, have paramedics that come through and do field work with me and stuff. And I tell them if I stop learning that day, like if I don't see something new that day or learn something that day, it's time to quit. So that doesn't ever quit quit the job. You mean? Yeah. Quit the job. (laughs) Quit the job. Right. Um, but I, that doesn't stop. Like I think anybody in public safety mm-hmm. would know that there's not a single day that goes by that you're going to see the same thing. No two calls are the same. Never. They might have the same heading, but they got different details. Right. For sure. And you can always learn something from something. Yeah. So Tamara, what's your, what's your future from here? What do you, I mean, you're, I'm, I want to say you're accomplished um, and have accomplished incredible things. Um, but I know for you, it's not stopping. No. <laughs> I, I know there's other things in the future. I, we had talked about your time being able to come on the podcast. And you said, I got to finish this one, this one class. And I can do it between this because I've got another class coming up soon. Yeah. <laughs> so um, what's it look like for you? Where, where we, where's Tamara going? 
Um, I haven't really made up my mind yet. Um, going through nursing school, I just... <laughs> I don't know what I want to be. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> That's great. I didn't have time in nursing school to even really think because um, I was doing so much other stuff outside of nursing school. So I just decided I wasn't going to worry about it. I enjoy being a paramedic. I enjoy my job very much. And so I just... my I have my place to live. I have a job. And so I just know that I'm okay and that I'm going to trust that the doors are going to open where they need to open. Um, like I said before, I would love to work in a PEDS ICU, flying in a helicopter, run a PEDS transport team. Mm-hmm. That would be awesome. Um, people think I'm crazy for liking pediatric calls, but literally that's a majority of my calls. Um, you can ask any of my partners now. Like They'll see more kids with me than mm-hmm. any other person. Right. Um, several of them have asked that to stop. I have no control over that, but... Um, I really do have a heart um, for children, even if I don't have my own. I, I do want to take care of any that are hurting and need help, um, especially um, with the human trafficking thing that that really has a big pull on my heart that has for a little while now. Um, so I'm kind of watching for opportunity with that. Um, Is that oh, something that like with your credentials that you have now that you could go to a federal level if that were? If I would need a little calling? bit more would schooling. You? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but it's not too far off the horizon either. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, long time ago when I was a baby medic, I had actually gone on a suicide call and I had noticed some differences. The guy had actually um, used a car um, to commit suicide, but he had started in one car and ended in the other because the other one ran out of gas. But I was the one that discovered that and I had showed the officer that the car was set up identical and he's like, you should be a detective. <laughs> and so I've always actually had that in the back of my mind that I wanted to be a detective, but then they told me I had to be a police officer first, <laughs> and I didn't want to do that. So. Now, wait a minute. I thought all firefighters <laughs> wanted to be police officers. Or no, is it the other way it's, around? It's definitely the other way around. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, he started in firefighting as well. Or he started, you started in medical service, correct? So, I mean, he's, he's been in that route. I was in the Navy. Um, I was trained as a firefighter in the Navy, but that wasn't my primary job. Everyone's trained in the Navy to fight fires because if you're out in the middle of the ocean and a fire breaks out, right. you're not going to call the fire department. <laughs> it's a lot of water. At there's, least. A, there's a lot of water, but the fire department isn't going to come riding up beside you putting out your fire. So you got to figure out how to do it yourself. So we had that brief training. So I can't imagine, um, some of the, some of the, you know, techniques and things that are, that are used today to put out fires and stuff. And it's the, the courage of, of men and women that go into buildings that are on fire, uh, is the same, I think that goes along with men and women that jump out of airplanes that are not going to crash. That's, um, I don't think it's insanity. I think it's incredible courage. Um, Everything that you told us today, um, I mean, I can't wait to see where things go for you. Um, I'd like to know um, what your students think maybe down the road after they've been into one of your classes and maybe you would find out or hopefully you would find out that you inspired them to do something or go a certain direction, that kind of thing. That would be awesome. Yeah. 
Um, I think is, is wanting to be a mentor, um, wanting to leave a legacy. What do we want to leave behind kind of thing? Um, that's something that I know I desire at my age, um, going into, you know, I'm going to be 55 pretty soon. And I know that when I'm talking to the guys that I work with, I mean, what am, what am I trying to leave behind? So that's important to me too. One last question for you. Um, what is the, the ultimate, I mean, you've said it several times, kind of your, your, your message. I mean, you, you're very prepared. You came here with notes and everything else. So you're, you're prepared to, to share your message. Um, and, and you're doing it incredibly. And I don't want to. The stage is yours. Yes. I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I mean, if you want to read all of your notes at this point, you can certainly do that. I mean, if there's something that you're missing out, I don't want to, I don't want you to leave here saying, man, I wish I would have said this, or I wish I could have entered this into the conversation. I want you to be able to, to open it up and say anything that you want at this point. It's your show. And, uh, Christopher wants to hear it. That's right. uh, Plenty of others. (laughs) I was going to say, I did get an outreach of quite a few people from at least Iowa and a few people here too that (laughs) were excited to to see me do a few things. I don't know that I have anything much more different to say. Just know that you can always reach out. And I don't mean that superficially. Like, do build your community so that you have that foundation. There's, I struggled with that myself. Um, probably my weakest point is building that community for a long time. I didn't even have a church, um, but building that community, um, making sure to reach out, do yourself some favors and be strong enough for yourself and for your friends and family to ask for help. Um, Cause you're not only being strong for yourself, but you're giving that example to somebody else too that's watching. And you never know how your interaction or how you deal with something will be perceived and seen and appreciated and understood by somebody that needs that as well, that unspoken foundation that, hey, this is okay. This is a a safe place to step and go from there. Um, I think that's all I got. (laughs) I don't know. Okay. I, I said like that was the last question, but I, I do have one more because okay. I've asked every guest this question and I want to make sure that I continue the, the thing. If you're ever in that situation, you're at your lowest point in your life. So you believe. It's the darkest you've ever been in your life. You're going through all of the situations in your life that where you thought you failed and all of these other things. And for whatever reason, the pain of today you're so afraid that it's going to continue tomorrow that you just want to end it. Is Tamara going to reach out? Are you going to make the phone call that needs to be made? Even if you think it's going to make you look or feel a certain way, are you going to reach out and let the person and what I'm getting in the theme is the person you trust. Are you going to, Are you going to call them and say, listen, I'm on a ledge somewhere and I need you to, I need you to bring me back. I need you to tell me that it's going to be okay. I need you to help me to quit tomorrow. Yeah, I do that actually frequently and over little stuff. It doesn't even have to be that darkest moment because I've been in that darkest moment and I don't, I, I reached out then 
it was a success for me then. It kept me going till the next day. Um, but even something simple like nursing school, like I almost quit. I can't tell you how many times. Um, and even now looking at the thought of leaving something that I've been doing for 28 years, that's scary. And I have had to have a couple of people talk me off that ledge too. that. Hey, it's okay over here. Like it's okay in the nursing land. <laughs> You'll be all right. Um, but I know that's benign in comparison to some dark times, but it's big life changes are important to make sure that you're reaching out. So in building your community, you've built that, that trust with individuals that you can reach out to. Yeah, for sure. That's That's important. important It's taken a long time just because I had to, when I moved from Iowa, I was going through a lot of things that a lot of people weren't aware of. And I didn't even like myself, let alone anybody really. Um, (laughs) I was just kind of over it. And um, it took a long time for me to, as a result, because I, I made some people pretty angry <laughs> when I moved here. I can't mm-hmm. lie about that. Um, and so it's taken a long time to build that community for me now. But I'm super glad that I have the people in my life that I do. And did I see you just recently got an award? Yeah. What was the, what was the award for? Um, the South Carolina Emergency Nurses Association um, vote on several members in the state of outstanding service or excellent service. And... Um, I was nominated for EMS Personnel of the Year, and um, I was told the other day that I won. That's incredible. <laughs> Outstanding. That's awesome. So I saw I've, some of the pictures on Facebook. You looked glamorous. You <laughs> had the whole um, the thing over yeah, your face. Yeah, it was a masquerade. Masquerade party. Yeah, it was yeah, a masquerade party. It was really neat. So people were a little confused by that mask, but... I was taken back by it. I didn't even know I was nominated till two weeks ago when I got a phone call that said, Hey, you made the top two. And I'm like, of what? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even know this was a thing. Like I knew about the association. I just didn't know that they did a vote for that. So that was pretty cool. It's incredible. And uh, nurses from around the state that knew me had mm -hmm. taken some time to recognize that. Yeah. That was awesome. <laughs> it is. It, it's, it's My competition was yeah. very steep. He's very well published and very well mm-hmm. respected person as well. And I, the other person. That yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. His name is BJ Mary. He's captain for Ori County fire yeah. rescue actually. Okay. Um, wow. So, yeah. We were even in the same County. So I'm like, man, <laughs> I'm probably going to lose. <laughs> out, out of the whole state. state, the top two are in, in Ori County. In Ori we County. got it. We, <laughs> we <Yep>. got it. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, just the fact that we, that I was nominated at all was an honor. And right. You got cardiovascular problems, move to Horry County. <laughs> we got you covered. We got, we got hunters and doctors. <laughs> That's right. You can golf a little bit. Well, <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, um, I've had an actually, I've had an incredible time. Um, I've learned a lot. I did not know the, the Mennonite background. Um, that's incredible. Um, cause I don't know a lot about that, that culture. And, um, so I've learned a lot with that kind of stuff. Um, Nick, I just, this is where I throw it over to Nick and ask him if he's got anything to follow up with, um, any kind of questions. Um, and he always brings a lot of really cool insight in, uh, unless he's, yeah, unless, no pressure. I, unless I answered <laughs> or unless I, uh, put the questions out that, that he's already was thinking of asking, but normally he interjects very, very well at this point. Most of the things were covered, I think, um, but you did have like five pages, so I I did. I mean, you counted them, huh? 
They're double spaced. Told you oh, I'm a numbers guy. <laughs> double spaced, but there's, it's handwritten. Is it not handwritten? No, it's, it's not. not handwritten. It's handwritten. There's a lot of. She went to nursing school. She's done writing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> She's done enough. That's right. Um, is there anything in those pages that you want to make sure you leave on the table before you leave? I think I covered everything. I was looking through here. Um, everything that I really wanted to say. I mean, especially about like just that struggle and that you're not failing. I, I don't know. Like even in nursing school, people were like, I'm failing, I'm failing. I'm like, you're not failing. Like there wasn't a soul in our class that was actually failing, but the standards are so high that even if they would have not passed quote unquote the class, they still would have ended up with a C like, it's right. not, that's not a fail in my book. Say a C can take care of me. It's better than what I would have done. And I mean, there's opportunity to retake classes there. Mm-hmm. Like, they weren't failing. They were just struggling. And I was one of them. Like, mm-hmm. I broke out in shingles my second semester. Goodness. Because I was just so stressed. And mm-hmm. I had to recognize that in myself, too. That, hey, <laughs> take a couple steps back here. Right. It's not that serious. Right. Like Apl- it's, apply some of the stuff that you're teaching now, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, it's definitely like your dad said, right? It's so easy to focus on quitting when things are hard is essentially what he said, mm-hmm. right? And um, when things are easy, nobody thinks about it. Uh, that's big. That's kudos to your dad for that. That's a, that's a big one because mm-hmm. um, it's true. Um, but if if all these things were so easy, where would be the joy? You know what I mean? If, if life is so easy all the time. Yeah. Um, you definitely appreciate those moments when they're happy after that struggle. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, uh, I mean, that's so much of it right there is being able to push through. And like we have here, um, you said in the beginning of the podcast, and I'm sticking to it, your your drive is to keep going. And in your essence, it's keep growing. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you can keep finding new ways to support yourself, uh, that's strong. And I think it's, Billy talks about this a lot is self-talk and it's amazing that these people come on these podcasts, including yourself and you can give such great advice. And I love that we end it with, are you following your own advice? Because, and he loves to use Robin Williams, (laughs) but there are so many others alike that are just like that. Um, the guy's given all the great advice, but can't follow it himself when he needs it the most. And um, so we want to make sure that you understand the power of your message that gets put on the table for everybody else to hear. You need to have that same strength for yourself when you need it the most. You have to have the same courage, same wisdom, the same everything that you brought to the table today. And be like, man. <laughs> and you got to be like, damn, I got to quit tomorrow. That's I right. said it. I'm not quitting today. Yeah, that self-talk is huge. I mean, you talk and talk and talk to a lot of people, but you talk the most to yourself. And the message that you give yourself needs to be more positive. The more negative things that you drill home, that's what you're going to think about all the time if you start to talk positively and about strength and motivation and things that you can do. In the immediate, even if it's not long-term, like what can I do right now to make this situation tolerable like you got to do that you've got to give yourself those messages I mean I don't remember I was watching another thing on tv it was about some navy seal training and how this guy was like 
I'm going to throw stuff at you every day, but you're, you need to not think about all the things that are going to happen for the next six weeks. You need to think about your next goal. And that's probably blue breakfast. Mm -hmm. And then (laughs) your next goal is going to be lunch and there's going to be pain in between and you know that, but that's okay. Like you've got food coming. Mm -hmm. So just making to that next goal, whatever it is, even if it's really small, like breakfast (laughs) or just tomorrow. Yeah. You said it, I think, in the very beginning of this podcast, right? Episode one, maybe. It came from you. And it stuck with me ever since you said it. Um, I've heard things I like, but it was just powerful the way you said it. You said, I'm the guy that's afraid to miss out on what tomorrow has to offer. Some FOMO. Yeah. And then Parker McBride um, said it. What stopped you is the finality of it. Mm -hmm. The finality of... If I take a chance at seeing tomorrow, I can take that chance. If I don't take that chance, it's it's Never not coming back. Gonna come. It's not coming right. back. So it's uh, and I've said this every episode, so people are probably just gonna turn it off now because they're tired <laughs> of me hearing it. But um, it's just the truth. You listen to all these people from different walks of life that have not had the same experiences or anything, and it all comes together some way, shape, or form. It all comes together, um, and I think that's why it's so important that we're there for each other. Yeah. I mean, making sure that that community is solid. I didn't really expand a lot about like my Mennonite upbringing. I do appreciate everything that they've done for me, but if you don't know much about the Mennonite in the Amish community there, um, once you've gone kind of against their wishes or their doctrine, um, they don't really want you there. It's like an excommunication. (laughs) Yeah. And the Mennonites aren't as strict as the Amish church are. Um, but I guess that's one thing that my grandmother, one person that I always thought would be the hardest on me was always the softest out of all of my family. So um, she just always made me feel like I was going to be loved no matter what. Mm-hmm. She's like, I don't always agree with you what you're doing. <laughs> and I don't necessarily like right. what happened, but you're still my granddaughter. Mm-hmm. You're still my, Grace. my family. Yep. Mm-hmm. I heard um, an old preacher say one time, Never judge God by his people. Mm-hmm. And we do that all the, all all the, the time. time. Yeah. yeah. Like it happens all the time. But we're judging God based on the actions of a fallible human being mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of the infallible God. I think this has been great. Um, you're a natural talker. Mm-hmm. You <laughs> did excellent for someone who's never been on a podcast before. Right. Um, I value and appreciate every single bit of your time today. And thank you for everything you've you've brought to us. Uh, really, go ahead and do your thing. And uh, we've been criticized on this, so we're going to bring it back. It's our fault, okay? Uh, God forgive me. We have not done our closing prayers. So if anybody wants to stick around after the end of this podcast here, there will be a closing prayer. And thank you. So everybody, you can reach out to us on Facebook, Day One, Week One at Facebook. Um, we also take donations at donate.dayoneweek1.org. If you want to reach out to us, tell us your story. If you want to be on the podcast, reach out to us at contact at dayoneweek1.org. Make sure you do that. Um, it, both Nick and I get those emails so that we're checking them literally every day. In fact, I think they go on his phone. So if you reach out, it's going to be received and it's going to be responded to in a quick, in a quick basis. But we appreciate you coming out here, Tamara. It's been an absolute honor. Thank you so much for uh, sharing your story, your life with us. Um, 
I say this to every guest, but I'm, I'm and, and I mean it every time I say it. I want, we definitely want to have you back and share again. Um, you, you gave a lot of lessons, a lot of a lot of learning happened today, and we really appreciate that. Cool. All right. I'd love to come back. You're going to Hollywood. Good. That's right. You got a gold <laughs> ticket. Father, we just want to, we want to thank you for an incredible opportunity. We want to bring people together so that they know that, so that they know that we're out here trying to make a difference so that somehow, some way you can be glorified. We want them to feel the passion that you have for them. We also want them to know that you're the only hope. Father, I thank you for this incredible time that we can spend together here talking about not just the feelings, but the results of your creation. And we, I'm in awe on a daily basis. I look up at the clouds and I just see, just see eternity and I wonder what it's going to be like when I'm finally standing in front of you. Father, I ask you to just bless anyone that's listening right now. Reach down in their heart. Let them know that you're real. Be more real to them right this moment than you've ever been in their life. Whatever barriers they put between you and them, Father, I ask you to just just take them away. Eliminate them. Give them an opportunity to reach out for the help that they need. Let them cry out to you, whether it's audibly or just in their head. Father, let them just speak to you. Give them strength, give them hope, and give them peace. Allow them to give themselves tomorrow. We praise you. We worship you. We honor you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Amen.